You know, one of the things I miss about the pre-pandemic times, the chaotic messiness of shopping at a Ross Dress for Less. Any location, any city, it never mattered. The experience was always the same. Clothes uh, not hung up, misplaced, scattered about, some on the floor, some over the racks, a bottle of olive oil with peppers in it for some reason. Sure, uh, picture frames, why not? Uh, for years, when I lived in San Francisco and was on a very strict budget thanks to my then-wife Jenny's tight control of the purse strings, she had little strings sewn onto her purse where she kept our earnings from our cabaret shows. Uh, but once a month, uh, or if I had a big job interview coming up, I was allowed to scurry down Petrero Hill to the shopping center there on 16th and, and walk in and embrace that uh, absolute madness that was this place. And, and it was around this time that I also discovered uh, what size I was. So that's what my criteria was. The only bit of information I had was I was looking for this very specific size. So uh, if it had pleats, fine. Uh, whatever the pattern was, it did not matter. If the size was right, it went over the arm. Uh, and really did not matter what the things looked like. I tried with in terms of what things felt like. But if I found that size, which I will tell you is not rare. I'm not an unusually shaped individual. So if I found that size, oh gosh, it was as if I had escaped the sleeping dragon's gaze and made it out of that little cavern with just an armful of gold. <laughs> you don't know. And if I had the patience to stand in line and complete the purchase, oh my gosh, how the heart did sing and I would skip back up the hill. <laughs> Now, often uh, I have found that the choices that I made then uh, were ones that I would come to regret later. There was not a lot of repeat wearing on some of those items, but I didn't have a lot of means. I didn't have any guidance. And uh, basically all I did was ensure that I would be embarrassed looking at any photo of me from about 1998 to 2006, which is why I now only buy luxury panting from the finest purveyors and source my turtlenecks locally at a swap meet down by the piers. Now, I do shop online. Sure, you bet. Uh, it's 2021. Why not? Now, do I get eye strain uh, trying to zoom in to see fabrics on Amazon.com? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Of course I do. You don't need to suffer the same experience, though, if you get a pair of Baxter blue glasses. Now, you've heard me say it before, but these blue light lenses filter 80% of the highest energy blue light, eliminating 99% of glare. The other 1% is nonsense anyway, so don't worry about that. But our exposure to this digital light, of course, is soared, which you know, because you, you get that little screen time alert, and it says, oh, Gosh, I didn't know there were that many hours in a week. No wonder my hand is cramping. And not just your hands, our eyes and our sleep are suffering as a result. Baxter Blue not only helps you, but it provides a pair of reading glasses for someone in need for every pair sold. Baxter Blue is giving our listeners 10% off your next purchase of Blue Light Sleep for Kids Glasses. Click the link in our uh, notes there on the deepnightshow.com uh, page for your exclusive discount. We know, we know you're going to love uh, Baxter's, and I bet you'll enjoy the difference. I can almost hear you exhaling from relief through the podcast, through my headphones. Ah, well, we're talking about what it's like to be effortless 
what it takes to construct a look, and how costuming can serve jokes when we unzip the diaphanous membrane and slip into the silky cocoon that envelops us when we are in the deep night. Deep night with Oh, friends, it's me, Dale Seaver, and I'm so pleased to be your audio tailor, your sonic seamstress, and your Studio 54 go-go dancing guide through this next hour of regrets and revelations. We come to you tonight, as we always do, from the foul banks of the Gowanus and talk about fashionable. Has there been a line of clothing inspired by the Gowanus yet? Something sticky and murky that barely moves when you walk. Something that leaves an oily trace behind, like a slug dipped in spent cooking grease. Or maybe the rainbow sheen that dances across her surface, catching the light in such dazzling ways, could be incorporated into a smart blazer. Coy, but also repellent. Anyway, if you're a young fashion designer out there and want to do it, make sure I get a seat in the front row. <laughs> I have too many ideas for one brain. We have a guest on the program tonight who is similarly bursting with creativity. Now, she's responsible for crafting the look of the recent Netflix miniseries, Halston. No easy task as a designer taking on the life of a titan of fashion whose looks were everywhere for a time and probably due for a comeback after this show, I'd wager. I know I'm ready to wear a soaring tie-dyed kimono like sheath, aren't you? Or a smart raincoat for the blustery days? A wide-brimmed hat? Ah, uh, yes, please. The show is so great, you have to watch it. You simply have to. And the elegance at which my guest, Jeriana, is able to indicate what's going on, sometimes only through a sweater here or dress there. It's remarkable, and she has been rightly getting a lot of attention for this. It's rare that a TV program is just so beautiful to watch. And of course, this is just one of many projects Jeriana has worked on, so we talk about a few of those too. It's been a while since we've gone deep with fashion, but I'm glad we had a chance this week. So let's go now to my conversation with Jeriana San Juan. Jeriana San Juan, welcome to the deep night. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm so happy this could work out. And congratulations on the recent success of the miniseries, Halston. Thank you. I am so thrilled that it is living with the world now and that the world has an opportunity to, to consume this thing that, that's just kind of been my own little secret and that I've been carrying around for a year. Wow. What a secret to, 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 to be holding on to. It seems like it must have been just a dream come true to work on this. It was. Yeah, for me, particularly, it was a dream. And it felt kind of ominous, I think, because 
it's something I, I've aspired to. It's a subject that I care so deeply for. It's a, it's a place for costumes in what I do that it just felt like it would be this big spectacular celebration of what I do. So it felt like in some ways I'm, I hope I didn't peak too early. <laughs> <laughs> well, especially how many projects do you get to work on? I mean, one that's involved in fashion, that's already a plus. But that end, and I don't think it's spoiling anything, to say it ends in an, almost a fashion show of everything that you've created right. for, for the whole thing. I mean, gosh, that's a nice way to, to way to do it, you know. Yeah. Well, it's a, the show is really meant to celebrate his creativity and his body of work, and that's always how I approached it. So... To me, the the better I was able to achieve, you know, his spirit and the energy of his clothes and sort of capture that lightning in a bottle that was Halston, I think the 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 more homage I was paying to him, the you know, really this whole thing was just to tip my hat to him. So to have the costumes in central focus in the show, for to have them basically be a character in the show, was just kind of a joy. Uh, and, and you feel that. And beyond a character, it's almost the entire mood is set by how everything looks and feels. Um, and my goodness, to go from, you know, Jackie O's hat to a ballet by Martha Graham, that's quite a span that you had to Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. And I think, but also something that kind of spoke to so many things that I love. And, and that's maybe something I share with Halston. You know, I think... I love the I love dance. I grew up with a mother who was a ballerina. Grew up in the rehearsal studios of the Joffrey Ballet every day after school. I lived dance in my whole life and um you know had to break the news to my mother one day that I was not going to be a dancer. <laughs> and so I I felt like just have having the opportunity to flex that muscle and design for theater and ballet and also sort of do the fashion thing and also costume Thing, I felt like it was, it, it honestly just felt like this perfect cocktail of all these things I love. Yeah. Oh, that's uh, so beautiful, too, to, to have a project like that that so perfectly marries all of your interests and, and everything that you've been steeped in. You can draw on every part of your experience. I mean, as, as dreamy as that sounds, it must also have been daunting to say yes to that. Oh, yes. I, I don't think, I mean, there was never a question of if I would say yes, it was, will they have me, truly. And, mm. and, and the, yes, incredibly terrifying, but I think the things that are the most terrifying to you are the things that you're supposed to do because you, it, you grow from it and you learn from it and you know, you sink or you swim, as I learned when you when I first started even doing costume design from fashion design. And um, so, you know, I think as much as I think a lot of performers can relate to that as well. It's sort of like it's so scary. You know, the things that scare you produce sometimes the best energy. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've had some moments where I've been very terrified to go on <laughs> and uh, whether that resulted in something good sometimes. Sometimes not. But I'll tell you, as long as you're kind of prepared, like once you get to recognize that energy, know that that feeling is not the end of the world. And if you can kind of prepare to ride it, uh, mm -hmm. that's the best case scenario. Yes. <laughs> I I, yes. I, sometimes I feel like, um, what is that movie, A Land Before Time, where you just have to harness it? You know, you just have to kind of 
jump on a treyu and fly. <laughs> <laughs> Not a land before advice. time. What was that? The Jonathan Brandis one. Uh, the land before time is the dinosaurs, right? The, the animated dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah, that was the dinosaurs. I'm, I'm going with also you. Also a touching <laughs> film, by the way. <laughs> I believe also they a touching might, film. No, they might harness something I'll think there. of it later. Okay. Well, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll circle back. It, it, in the meantime, um, uh, uh, were you, uh, because right now, I don't know if this is a, 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 a it's a beautiful thing that you're wearing. Uh, I don't know if that's one of your own creations or not. It's, um, it's a, no, it's not, but it's, it's um, from my friend's store and she only sells uh, things that she buys in the East from, uh, I think, I believe mostly Korean fashion and Chinese and, um, and isn't this a great t-shirt? It's just, it's, it's just a t-shirt, but it has these fabulous ruffles. Yes. For the audio listener at home, it is a gray <laughs> t-shirt, which looks immediately very comfortable. And then it has these kind of puffy uh, ruffles. Uh, two of them on either arm that are just uh, resplendent in a, a, what I think is black uh, color, or at least a darker shade of gray. Uh, looking very I love sharp. hearing you describe fashion. <laughs> well, I'm happy to do it anytime. <laughs> you have very descriptive, it's good descriptive. I mean, that's kind of how I think of clothes. If, you know, all of these colorful words come to mind and that's yeah. what, that's what it does. It's kind of create that energy. Yes. Well, were you fashionable as a kid was what I was going with that. Hmm. I think it took a long time for me to understand self-expression um, mm -hmm. for, a, I think, as a as like a little, a youthful, tiny kid. I think you're always just trying to do whatever uh, won't make you too noticed, <laughs> especially right. when you're different. <laughs> yes. That, well, that's what I wondered, because sometimes to be fashionable is to be an outsider, because what you're interested in is not what's going on in the mainstream there at no. the cafeteria or something. So uh, it can lead you to being thinking you're being very cool. Uh, well, <laughs> maybe yes. others oh, totally. don't think you're cool. You think you might be cool, but then it kind of runs up against uh, everyday use, and that can be... <laughs> challenging <laughs> oh yeah no i totally i totally was always the like outsider kid i think i never had a you know i never was from there I, we moved around so often i was often the new kid in town anyway mm. um but i think i found my sort of my own uh artistic voice and my own fashion voice when i was in uh college at fit and and that was like just sort of like the moment for me where i was like I actually don't want to dress like what all these other fashion girls are wearing, and I don't want to just be another kind of drone that buys into whatever the hot thing is. I want to do my own thing, and I would start making my own clothes. Every day before school, I basically made what I was going to wear that day. And, wow. you know, because it's fashion school, so, you know, it was for my punk rebellion was in my clothes. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, and I would buy, like, Every, I would just shop at thrift and vintage and, and I would get old soccer jerseys and make recut them and make them into jumpsuits or, uh, you know, take I used a lot of athletic clothing because I just never understood it because I don't understand sports. <laughs> <laughs> and I would just find inspiration in the lacing of a pair of football pants and a different way to use that. Or And would you then make patterns based on those things or would it be new every time just a kind of a... Uh, adaptation of what had existed before I think it was always a um, just a new thing that I would invent in that moment or something that was you know something I know worked on me yeah you know uh, but I would always do it freehand the way that literally my grandmother had taught me 
to make clothes and she would always work very freehand and not usually um, regiment everything to like perfecting a pattern. She was more of a draper. Mm-hmm. And so I sort of made clothes in that way. Not unlike uh, Halston, it seems. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what Halston and my Cuban grandmother really have in common, but maybe it's that no, because, draping, you know, maybe. I think there's something. Yeah, totally. Yeah, seeing how the fabric wants to move and how it uh, wants to behave, and then following that seems like a pretty good impulse. Although making your own clothes every morning—that's it's pretty high bar. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Not anymore. I don't have that kind of energy anymore. But yeah, how, I think I. How just... early were you up? <laughs> always, I've always been an early bird. Yeah, that's my okay. secret. I think that's my secret in life. I just wake up at the dawn. I mean, also, <laughs> art school classes don't tend to start that early. No, but I was, I I mean, when you're in school, in art school, you really, uh, I don't think people know how hard you can work. You can kind of elect your own adventure in art school, like you can, I think, in any school. You could really try to make everything your thesis, (laughs) or you could just get by. (laughs) Right. And look, I'm not equating uh, sleeping in with laziness. Uh, That might be the only two hours you get to sleep, because you're... you're, (laughs) Right. You're working all the rest of the time, and it is very much, you know, speaking of uh, youth and fashion, right. though, if I can share just my experience along the same lines, uh, uh, because I remember always wanting to go bold, you know, and having that impulse to to, to shout and see what, and I kind of grew up in a mall, so I was always around the latest, you know, what was happening there at that level, uh, and I remember saving $52 from mowing the lawn or whatever it was for a pink zebra sweater. So uh, just a pink sweater with a white zebra, you know, patterns uh-huh. on it. Uh-huh. And um, I wore that exactly once. <laughs> <gasps> was this, I want to know more about this pink zebra sweater. Was it zebra printed, like, you know, tiger printed or zebra printed? Yes. Uh, the pattern of a zebra, just in white and pink. Oh Does my that gosh. make sense? Oh, it sounds like a like a Technicolor dream coat. Yeah, yes. 1990, <laughs> 1991, somewhere around there. Uh, probably oh, with yeah. some uh, bugle boy uh, pants or something. But right. um, I don't was think... there a sock, like a scrunched sock somewhere oh, in that mix? Oh, I bet there was, and a nice uh, boat shoe. Oh, yeah. No, only once what happened? It, what it happened when it what, was worn? It wasn't what was happening with the rest of the... Uh, the program there, you know, it just felt too. Um, first of all, it was still at a time where like pink was a little bit not uh, right. accepted. And Do you the, feel like you felt a gaze on you, like a like a you know judgmental gaze when you wore it? I do, I do, and I always feel that way to the point that I don't even like wearing T-shirts with slogans. Because this I, is the problem, and yeah. this is, I mean, it's the problem with youth will never not be mean in that way. I think people are always scared of what's different and that's not something they recognize. But I think the youth today have a chance actually, because they're so much more aware and, you know, you know, they're just more cognizant of, of their space in the universe, you know, but yeah, of course I feel you. Oh, I wish you had that sweatshirt. I, I would, celebrate you wearing it right now. <laughs> I appreciate that. I do think now would be a better received than it was at the at that time. But well, what can you do? And of course, for me, that was a kind of luxury thing. But now as I've gotten um, older and advanced, I see, and, and the more I'm exposed to people that have a little bit of means, luxury is really just getting to um, the thing that is just inherently the thing. 
Does that make sense? So it's like the white shirt that is perfectly a shirt. It is right. it, like no frills. It's not a gold buckle. Although I tell you something, my family descended from the Mayflower. I love buckles. Put a buckle <laughs> on a hat, I'm there. Buckle on a shoe, <laughs> why not? But uh, it's not about that. It's not the ostentatiousness of it. It's the thing of the thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like the blackest shoes. Right, uh, right. And, and that's beautifully certain... represented in Halston too. Sorry to interrupt. No, no, totally. I, I'm sorry. I, I feel like the that sort of finding the most quintessential, you know, simplest way to to find a very complicated idea is what makes it so artistically like forward. And it's I think I think, yes, I think that's something that's today now. I think that's a very that postmodern, you know, everything's now like very streamlined and minimalist and people kind of appreciate that Noguchi sensibility or, you know, things that are minimal in that way. And I don't know. I think there's a lot of noise out there in the world and people, it's just one way to go. I think that's just one aesthetic. It's one that I particularly enjoy, but there's this other way to go about it as well, right? There's the like more is more ideal. And there are people who very much appreciate that. I mean, that's, I think, where I find myself kind of falling out of that, like, maybe that's where I find that definition of myself, of where my costume designer mind and my fashion designer mind kind of diverge. Because, yes, I am a huge fan of Halston's work, and I really had the opportunity to celebrate the heck out of that on this job and really just, like, sort of light my Santeria candle to him and tell him that I love him. And do my best, you know, voice in his voice and, and do all that. But also I'm, I'm such a fan of, of so many different fashion designers. And, you know, stylistically, I think it's just really fun to celebrate the simplicity and the minimalism and all of those things that you spoke to in, in this series. But I think a lot of people at this point are like, oh, you must be the greatest fan of his. And I'm like, I absolutely am. And I I do tremendously respect him but I um you know I, I also really respect designers who just have insane over decorated over embellished you know <laughs> Dior you know kind of sensibilities I think there's there's beauty in that as well sure put some ruffles on a t-shirt or a buckle on it <laughs> or a buckle <laughs> if you will <laughs> well <laughs> one of the things too about um uh, Halston, the show that you're able to achieve along these minimal lines is to suggest so much just in color to move from black to white to red and each one of those indicating a whole psychological profile, a whole mood of what's going on, a whole passage of time uh, just with those three colors. Yeah, that was a part of very much. It was I really did uh, di digest. I think his point of view and his aesthetic as a, as an artist and as a designer, and then applied that generally towards how I was going to paint the story as a de costume designer. You know, I think that was important for me not to just design in his voice just on the runways when I was doing his collections, but also, you know, how would Halston see the story of his life kind of illustrated and. When I saw his choices in in the spaces that he inhabited, whether it was his buying his 60th Street townhouse and that townhouse was all grays or the Olympic Tower and that was all this crazy red wild carpet and just, you know, floor to ceiling, just windows that looked out on New York City. 
they feel like such key colors in his life. And so I just kind of mirrored that in his clothes because he was his brand. He was his aesthetic. It's they're one in the same. And, and, you know, I think finding that symmetry where art is life and, and where that point of view and that aesthetic is so intertwined into his DNA of who he is. It just felt natural to me that those colors would, would sort of be those flag posts in this story. Yes, it's incredibly effective. And the, the other thing I noted about the show, uh, just it's beautiful, just relentlessly beautiful. And everybody looks good. And there's never like a makeup, like old age makeup that comes in. There's never like a, uh, there's some illness and things. That stuff doesn't, Liza looks fantastic the entire time. Right. So, so the whole thing, you never let that drop. No one uh, sees that part of it. And I think that's kind of crucial to the success of the thing, too, is that you, you get the fantasy piece of it and it's maintained all the way through. Yeah, it is sort of there is a, a like a lingering glamour, I think. Yeah, that even even in our ugly moments, it's sort of like I was thinking to myself, like, is this the moment where Halston's in like a stained T-shirt, like when no one's looking? I, you know, I have those moments, but and when we got to do some some grime, and I was always very, you know, I made I would say ninety eight percent of the clothes that you see on screen, especially on all our principles, I made most of those clothes, and I, wow. I was very very careful to try to not have any you know because everybody was so crisp and beautiful and the people themselves were so beautiful and i just sort of wanted to uh have the clothes live look a little bit more lived in so i would still wash them a bunch of times after we finished them or have them dry cleaned or find ways to soften them or break it up a little bit because i didn't want it to turn into um sort of uh felt paper doll clothes that were just kind of like perfect all the time and and have them look more lived in but no I agree I think it's there is a constant glamour and and I think that's part of I think maybe that's part of the storytelling really I think at the end of the day because we I did decide you know yes Halston's mother just passed away and he is sitting you know crumpled on his chair and and it's a dark moment but he's still Halston. I don't think he separates that self out. I don't think he puts on that dirty old T-shirt. <laughs> so let's put him in a Halston print robe so that we really get a sense that while he's experiencing one of the darkest moments in his life, he's also experiencing such insane success and his brand is so prevalent and and famous and let's put the letter h all over him so we remember just how famous and how powerful he is in that moment and and do it in black so it felt somewhat somber and yeah yeah uh, and i had I... that robe by the way made in three different colors <laughs> Oh, terrific. Well, it also seems like that character, as portrayed, would seek comfort in his success and in the identity that he had fabricated as a kind of escape from whatever his uh, true you know, self was, as that little kid, um, to, to have something that he can envelop himself in that is a signifier of his yes. uh, new identity. Speaking of new identity, it'll be no surprise to you that one of my favorite scenes in there is uh, Halston looking in the mirror about to assume a new identity and he slicks back his hair and puts on different glasses and then slides a turtleneck over his head. I loved it. 
I wonder why. <laughs> well, I just thought of you, quite honestly, when we did that. <laughs> I appreciated the nod. <laughs> I saw there are so many turtlenecks in this. I mean, for somebody like oh myself, my it's just it's heaven. Where'd you find them I, all? It's, first of all, I enjoy a turtleneck as well. I enjoy a fold-over turtleneck, a mock neck. I enjoy all iterations of the turtleneck. Um, but I... In that moment, I really said out loud, I think at our creative read-through meeting, I said, I said, it's Batman. <laughs> <laughs> really loud and geeky in the room. Um, because it really felt like, oh, this is the moment where where we see him assume his identity and and become not not a man but a myth. And and it was really important to to have just that turtleneck right. I mean, that's what people think of when they think of him, right? So that was its own, you know, nightmare in terms of costumes. <laughs> nightmare, <laughs> but also wonderful joys. Because I we went through I probably had a maybe two racks full of turtlenecks when he first walked into the room, wow. you know, for his fittings. And quite honestly, it was re it's a terrible, you know, the simplicity, again, going back to the perfect, simplest, most quintessential, most, you know, boiled down DNA elements of a thing. If it's just a black turtleneck, the proportion needs to be just right. The fit just needs to be just right. The fabric needs to be just right, not pill too easily, not be too fuzzy, not be too matte, not be too clingy. There's so many little things about that to get that just right. And so we ended up finding the body of one that was really great, especially through the earlier years. I actually changed the turtleneck as we went on because the fit, I wanted to kind of reflect how he would wear mm. it, you know, if he was 30 or if he was in his late 50s. And uh, that that recipe changed, and I even had the tur the neck of one, you know, knit knitted, sort of unknitted and re-knitted to another actual body because the combination of those two just the proportion of them felt right together so it was you know it's a, it's the most like uh, i think it would be sort of the one thing nobody talks about and i'm so glad that you did but it was actually quite a doozy to get that right <laughs> i can imagine <laughs> i mean you open up uh, my closet all turtlenecks and I've got some that are bedazzled. Uh, I've got some with sequins. I mean, the whole thing you have to have, and so many that are just uh, plain color, you know, which, which have lots of black with some purple. Anyway, choosing the right one, I can relate to everything that you're talking about. And uh, how many pendants? How many pendants? Though? <laughs> fewer, fewer uh, of the amulets. Uh, uh, I would say about six. Um, but this this one is my favorite one um, because it is, as we're talking about, just the most. It conveys what it needs to convey uh, with a sort of efficiency um, that yes. uh, I appreciate and is what we've been talking about all along. So anytime you mm -hmm. want to do a deep dive into turtlenecks, I'm here for it. <laughs> and I, I'm a little envious of his sweater at the end, too, that nice uh, cable knit uh, number. Yes, oh. from black to white. Oh, yes. Oh, that cable knit came from Italy. Uh, you can tell. <laughs> I was instantly uh, relaxed uh, when I saw that uh, out there in Montauk. I thought, oh, th this is living, man. This is. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I know. And this ain't from around here. Um, well, know. it's uh, terrific. Now, one side effect of watching the show is that I can't stop saying 
I'm Halston. <laughs> Into the way he went in those commercials. And not unlike uh, Phil Hartman uh, <laughs> comes to mind a lot, a lot of the time. Right. That's so true. I never even thought of that. But a hundred percent, I can see that. And, <laughs> and you know, um, that the other quotes that have come out of the show are include uh, get it sassy. People love get it sassy. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize he was so, I mean, it's really, it's quite quotable, the show in that way. Yeah. I love that Um Halston. He also had a word he would say all the time in the fitting room, and I think he'd be comfortable with me sharing this, Ewan, if you're out there listening. Um, the He would always say, I'm comfortable, comfortable, because the way that when, you know, Halston was interviewed or when he was talking about his clothing, quite often he used that, that adjective mm -hmm. in, in describing his women's wear. And... It was a word we practiced all the time in the fitting room because he did have a comfortable way of wearing his own clothes and and in the comfort in the in what he wanted women to feel when they were in his clothes. And and so we said that word all the time. I, I'm I, I love that word. And I, <laughs> I oh, yeah. love that lifestyle as well. Um, and thinking about all of this and thinking uh, elegance and thinking of some of the like comedy bits of it too, that these things are not different. Um, in comedy, the joke can, the funniest jokes sometimes to me are the things that are also the thing. You know, the, the, mm -hmm. the, the conditions of whatever the joke is also serves the joke. But then that joke, it, you know, you get to the essence of the thing. It's that same kind of the pursuit of luxury, the thing that we're all kind of chasing down. But uh, you've had some experience working in comedy as well. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, I love it. I mean, I, I grew up and I mean, sort of came up in comedy and at SNL and um, and doing I did a few projects after that uh, with Dennis Leary that were all comedies. And yeah. um, I, I, I yes, I love comedy. I also love comedians. Mm. I love working with like that's kind of they're just like I just feel like there's a very all-knowing place that you have to come from in as a comedian and the comedians that I work with understand drama I think just as well as they understand comedy and, and that's just such a fun interesting place to live in and also see where the clothes how the clothes are going to live as a part of that joke because it could live in a many different places it could be live in a place of take me totally seriously in this moment or or the clothes are part of the joke and yeah that's so fun I mean one of my little moments on Halston actually of like finding my little comedic happy place was when there was a failure when when there were models in a room you know standing in a line and he looks at them all and he says burn them i hate them you know what would those dresses look like and how would they be either very unhalston or maybe he just went too far on a bad idea or you know he says a string of things he says i think one of the things he says is an alien's prom dress <laughs> <laughs> so you had to make in response to the insult a little bit to make sure that it matched at least Yes. Yeah. There were some things and there were some things I was sort of like, well, you know, Halston did create this. Let's have it in, his, you know, it made sense for this point in his career for this kind of thing to be hanging on a, on a mannequin. And, you know, we would workshop ideas of what he could call it, you know, <laughs> and I was like, well, and they were like, well, how would you describe this? And I was like, well, it looks kind of like, you know, just like a, a, sad bag of <laughs> fabric and then they would find like a way funnier way to say that um so yeah and Ewan was also like always riffing on what what he would call something that he didn't like 
And it was just that part of like, that was the sort of the comedic happy place, I think, on this project. But yeah, I love comedy. I came up in comedy, loved my years at SNL. I used to do all of the the Jim Signorelli, uh, the sort of fake commercials that we would do in the series. Um, And yeah, it was just a fun, uh, such a fun time. And and can I ask, is there just a a basement full of stuff of of old stock that you pull from, or are you constantly inventing, not unlike uh, before school there (laughs) in your uh, FIT days? Uh, Was it uh, because the pace is so, uh, I imagine uh, you might have an hour to create something. Um, uh, What's the situation there? You're pulling from things, you're making both yeah, SNL has an, an a archive that lives housed in a warehouse off somewhere for some of the bigger, you know, things that you can imagine are the really iconic things and, you know, some of the, you know, you know, you know, things that you kind of would recognize that would be in museum, sure. those kind of things. Coneheads, uh, cheerleaders, all of those. Exactly. Visually, uh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you name yeah. it. Coneheads is a perfect example because um, it'd be terrible to store. <laughs> how do you how do you keep all these? So, um, so yes, yeah, so, but there is an in-house archive of like the soft textile, the clothes, and that goes back to basically the the earliest days. And and they've there is an in-house uh, costume team at SNL at 30 Rock that that constantly navigates kind of cycling things in and out because the show is constantly, you know, adding to it. So they're constantly filtering out old things, but it allows you to have a writer, you know, come into the room on Saturday, you know, before dress rehearsal, which, which is hours to the live show and say, we just came up with this bit. We want to do this, you know, oftentimes it was for, um, uh, the news seg there would be a news segment thing and they would want to do just like a quick little costume um and actually i want to say that's how um that's how bill Hader uh came up with his uh his like gay oh, stefan club commentating stefan St- yeah. and and so that t-shirt that stefan wore and um, was something that i did and and we were just sort of like well what if you know this feels kind of like Japanese fashion, something that like nobody would understand. Tattoo sleeves or something, didn't it? Yes, and tattoo sleeves. Something that I just felt kind of just sort of annoyingly, hilariously fashion forward, but also, and I just kind of had a weird sensibility. But we didn't um, want anybody to know it was Ed Hardy. It was it a Hardy t-shirt? <laughs> and Ed Hardy was also so, such a thing at the time. Um, so I painted in parts of a dragon and then greeked out places where you could still read Ed Hardy and made it green in those places so that it just looked like a dragon printed t-shirt. But, um, but I did that all with, with, uh, some acrylic paint I had near me and a magic marker and you name it. <laughs> in about 15 minutes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and then it became Stefan and I've been forever ashamed of it since. Cause I thought I could have done so much better, but I had five minutes. That's how things happen though. Too. And it, it, it's again, <laughs> and sketches one of these things where every single thing has to serve the joke. It all has to be working in unison. Uh, uh, and maybe that's just not too different from 
any of the endeavors that you're involved in, but uh, having done a little bit of sketch stuff myself, I know that that's what it's like. Every line matters. And if you make a visual choice, that's got to matter. And it's got to, it, it matters whether it's a brown jacket or a blue jacket, or uh, if it's a, a cockroach or a flea, whatever the... <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yes. And that's something that I have to say when my years at SNL, that was something that Tom Brooker, who was, who was the costume designer then and, and still is the costume designer now, really taught me. And he he really taught me, um, you know, those nuances of how clothes fit into comedy and how cost, how costumes service co comedy and comedians. And um, so I really credit that to Tom Brooker, who is who's like really become a mentor since my years at SNL. Yeah. Um, well, it's, uh, it's, I bet you all are just so loved over there. <laughs> the costume department. Uh, the car because oh, yeah. you really can save some people's bacon. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it's also central. Like, it's sort of, you know, s situated on, uh, in, in Rock Center on that floor. It's really kind of quite central and it's just off stage and it is sort of like people were always popping in and out and asking for advice or you know just coming into play or you know because it's you know people find a lot of their creative happy place in clothes and it's sort of a tactile way to start finding some creativity and so I felt like we always had some people lingering around that sometimes we just shush them away because we were really needing to work right right someone <laughs> looking to slide a turtleneck on and really come into their own yeah <laughs> yes, or a wig or what have you. Well, uh, I wondered, because this has been such a fast-paced uh, bit of business here, and you've gotten all this amazing attention, because truly, I mean, you're one of the stars of this thing. Let's not mince words. Uh, it, you're at the center of it. Have you been able to do any kind of self-care? Have you been able to take a pause and stay? You know, How are you staying grounded and centered through all this? Because by all accounts, you're everywhere uh, talking to everybody, and I'm I'm glad for it, but I wondered about your own uh, uh, health at this moment. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm savoring it up. Honestly, I, I'm, I have had other moments in my career when nobody gave two licks and I have had other moments in my career that were, where it was actually much more successful, but you know, nobody cared about the costume designer. And I, um, I felt like, you know, I should savor this and enjoy it because it also was tremendously difficult of a project, and and I'm very thrilled. Honestly, I'm. It was that moment of being the most terrified of anything I've ever done because I felt like I had the farthest to fall, and I felt like it's been really. I've been so so grateful that that people have been receiving it well and receiving the costumes well and and complimenting in that way, and that's been really. It just made me feel so much more at ease, you know, that maybe I've made a few right choices in my life. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> but also, um, I am taking some time off, which I haven't done in ever. <laughs> I've never taken time <laughs> off electively. Um, but I, you know, I think the, the pandemic world uh, kind of forced me to sit alone with myself and discover who I am when I'm not a costume designer and also spend time with my young daughter and and appreciate being around her and so i'm just taking a moment while while a few more people get vaccinated yes to uh <laughs> before i go back to work <laughs> that sounds like a good plan um well i do hope you get some rest uh that it is restorative and i hope that things continue to build from this excitement um i urge everybody to go out and, and watch halston on netflix 
it's exactly what you want it to be. Every scene is filled with just absolutely phenomenal, uh, phenomenal work uh, by you. <laughs> so thank you so much for being here. And thanks for your good work. Thank you. Thank you for having me and for wearing your gorgeous turtleneck and your fabulous almulet. Am I saying that right? Almulet. You got it. It's, it's very enjoyable. <laughs> I really appreciate it. I hope you appreciated my rubble. Oh, so much. Yes. Here they That's what they sound like. <laughs> A little ASMR on the ruffle front. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's terrific. Great. Well, thanks so much. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. I loved it. I love her. I love the show. I want to be that effortless. But my body is a potato. <laughs> someday. Someday. Uh, I don't need to get into drugs, though. I'm not a big snorting fella. Mushroom powders, you bet, but not bowls of Coke. I'm not doing that. I'm vibrating at the right frequency for me without uh, any of those things. Anyway, uh, go watch Halston. Try not to get addicted to drugs. And be fashionable in whatever way feels good to you. It's just important to feel positive, especially as we enter this wild summer. Friends, this is going to be something. <laughs> It truly will be. Now, a program note, uh, uh, it came up uh, during the, the show uh, that Jeriana was uh, referencing a movie, and she said Land Before Time, which I believe still is the animated dinosaur feature, which may involve some kind of harnessing uh, everyone's collective energies towards a good uh, end, but that is not what she, what she meant. She uh, later clarified it was the never-ending story. So if you were uh, a fan of harnesses, maybe you already picked up on that. So, all right, well, I wish you safety and good health and lots of harnessing and maybe a great feeling shirt here and there. Till next time, remember that although this night is ending, a bright new day is just ahead. Deep Night with Dale is produced and performed by James Bewley. Season theme song by Mariam Cadus of Space Moth. Season podcast icon by Philippa Beleza. Incidental music heard throughout the program by the talented roster at Howler Hills Farm in Ohio. Remember to rate and review the program on Apple Podcasts or tune in and stream the show on Spotify, SoundCloud, Pandora, or Stitcher, wherever you find fine audio content. To see any of our live shows or other short videos, visit our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Radio, and follow us on Instagram at Seaver is the handle. Thanks again for listening, and remember this season to keep your portals open and at a safe distance.